Welcome to the First Take podcast with Simon King, Michael Flanagan, and myself, Virginia Lee. On this week's episode, we'll discuss the implications of CMS's draft national coverage determination for Aduhelm and dive into our big picture takeaways from JP Morgan. Please like, subscribe, and thanks for listening. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced their draft national coverage determination for Biogen's controversial Alzheimer's drug on Tuesday, saying it will only pay for the drug and other FDA-approved beta-amyloid monoclonal antibodies under CMS-approved clinical studies. Michael, what are the implications of this? Well, so it remains to be seen, according to Biogen anyway, what this will mean for Aduhelm, although you know, basically what the street thinks is that the drug may be basically on its last legs, even though it really never got up and running. So the the draft NCD basically said that their uh, Medicare is only going to cover Aduhelm in the case of, you know, patients who are enrolled in very specific randomized controlled trials. And so basically that means that they're not going to cover the drug. So um, what that means is Biogen I think you can split it into two questions. What does it mean for Adyahelm and Biogen? And then what does it mean for the rest of the anti-beta amyloid antibody class? So for Biogen and Adyahelm, Biogen has a little bit of wiggle room here because it's a draft NCD. So they have a few months where they can, you know, take their case to CMS and try and uh, basically change their mind. And there is, you know, some precedent for the possibility that that may happen with uh, back with CAR-T's in 2019, um, CMS put out a a draft NCD that said they were basically not going to cover them or, you know, in a very restrictive cases. And then when the final um, NCD came out, it was a lot looser. So, you know, Biogen will say we, you know, we can follow that same sort of game plan and perhaps CMS might uh, change their mind again. Analysts don't think that is likely, you know, that CMS was very clear in their um, determination here where they basically said, we do, we basically don't agree with FDA's decision to approve this. We don't think that the uh, data is strong and um, we're just not going to pay for it. So, you know, I think long story short, Biogen has a few months to make their argument, but chances are good that it's probably going to fall on deaf ears. So then what does that mean going forward for the rest of the class is obviously a, maybe a bigger question. And, you know, Biogen says that this is going to be a big problem for, for all of these antibodies. Street, not, not so clear on that. I think, uh, you know, basically what, what really needs to happen is the other antibodies where there's three of them, one of them from Biogen and ASI, Lacanumab, another one from Roche, Gantanarumab, and another, the third from Eli Lilly, Donanumab. So these are all in phase three testing already, and we have readouts coming in a relatively short period. Uh, I think there's phase three readouts for Lacanumab and Gantanarumab in the second half of this year. Those will be the key sort of break, uh, watershed, you know, inflection point, whatever you want to call it, for the class. You know, if if one or both of those works, it will then show uh, that these antibodies can have 
a benefit on cognitive and or functional measures that will then convince a Medicare a CMS to you know change their guidance on reimbursement and it will probably open things up for those drugs for Adihelm probably still going to be you know passed over it's probably not going to go anywhere um, so for those other agents, it's really going to be about those phase three readouts that we can look forward to. Um, and then one note here, one caveat is with Denanomab. So it is going to read out from phase three in 2023. However, Eli Lilly sort of tried to jump the queue a little bit, and they are seeking accelerated approval for Denanomab based on the its ability to clear plaque, which is essentially what Adyahelm was approved on. And that, even if it is given accelerated approval, that sort of effort now seems sort of doomed to sit in purgatory because basically, you know, CMS is not going to pay for it until it shows some cognitive and functional benefits. So I think that's the long and the short of it at this point. Um, the next shooter drop will be that final NCD determination followed then by the phase three readouts for the other antibodies. Okay, great. Uh, and, and just moving on to the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, that is an industry curtain raiser for the year ahead um, that took place this week, not in San Francisco, but virtually for the second year in a row. Simon, what were some of your highlights from that conference? Yeah, thanks, Virginia. I mean, given what the conference represents in non-pandemic times, which is essentially a huge biopharma gathering in downtown San Francisco, moving it to a virtual setting makes it just a very different type of event. You know, that said, there was still lots of interesting commentary. Um, in light of what Michael's just been talking about, Biogen's concession that it got the initial pricing wrong for Adahelm was an interesting footnote, albeit one that, you know, may be redundant in light of um, Tuesday's news. I think Pfizer's decision to focus its presentation solely on messenger RNA and its aspirations in this field off the back of the pandemic and the success of its COVID-19 vaccine was really interesting to see. And I'm sure we're gonna see more investment and deal-making and progress in this field over the course of 2022. I mean, I think to distill it down to a single takeaway, then it's probably that we've seen continued appetite for new technologies and new treatment approaches, whether that's new types of cell therapy or gene editing as good examples. We also had some new data presented for gene therapies in hemophilia A and Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which was positive for the former and a bit more mixed for the latter, but certainly signposts another trend for the year ahead, which is whether gene therapy can shrug off some of those safety and durability concerns that accumulated last year. It's also worth remembering that there was still more than $20 billion in investment in, in gene therapy in 2021. And I think sort of taking a step back as well from JP Morgan to give it a bit more context, you know, despite the disruption caused by the pandemic, the FDA still approved 50 novel drugs last year, which is broadly on par with the four-year average between 2017 and 2020. But 54% of approvals in 2021 were first-in-class drugs versus an average rate of 37% over the prior four years. So I think that's encouraging in terms of innovation and I think there's been signs, you know, and more, more on that on show this week. Um, you know, the biotech stocks have taken a bit of a hit in the first two weeks of 2022. So I think that's something for investors to sort of keep in mind, to keep, um, you know, things in perspective, perhaps. 
And obviously there was some hope that the meeting would be a backdrop to some bigger deal announcements. But I think a lot of investors had ruled that out because you know the, the meeting was taking place virtually and we did see some smaller deals. And again, these were focused on emerging areas of innovation. You know, and even though we didn't see any major M&A transactions this week, most of the big farmers during their JPM presentations did suggest a willingness to go big for the right company. Um, Pfizer and Roche and Amgen and Merck and others are sitting on pretty healthy cash reserves and have said that they're open to deals of all sizes, including ones in the tens of billions of dollar range if they make strategic sense. So I do think the stage is sort of set for that going forward. Um, and the deal making that we did see this week also revealed where there's appetite for new technologies, where that's continuing to grow. So you mentioned Pfizer and their mRNA aspirations. They did a series of deals to build out their capabilities there this week. And we're also seeing interest in RNA technologies across the board beyond mRNA. So things like RNA degrading therapeutics, um, which was the focus of this week's partnership between Amgen and Arrakis. And we also had a pair of in vivo gene editing deals. So there was one between Pfizer and Beam centered on Beam's base editing platform and another between Bayer and a CRISPR company, Mammoth Bio. And that's coming on the back of the first clinical in vivo gene editing data that we saw this last year from Intellian and Editas. So that's really a field that's actively maturing into the clinic. And I think this week's deals are a sign of more to come there. Um, and, and just one last area I wanted to touch on were the deals that we saw leading into and through JP Morgan in AI-driven drug discovery. That's kind of a, a, of a buzzy phrase that can mean a lot of things depending on who you ask. It's AI is being used to accelerate the drug discovery process in the context of target discovery and molecule screening and molecule design and in toxicity testing. And in the last week or so, we saw at least six pharma deals looking to leverage AI and machine learning platforms at different stages of the discovery process. There was one that was just announced this morning, um, an extension of an AstraZeneca and benevolent AI collaboration to add some new indications to their ongoing partnership. So these all offer the potential to reduce drug development timelines and costs. And I think as more of these AI discovered programs move through the clinic, um, we'll kind of see whether platforms from the likes of Excientia and Absi live up to their promise and see more adoption of that from, from Big Pharma. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great weekend. We'll be back next week.